Hello and welcome to Cybertech Talks, a podcast where we bring cybersecurity experts together for a conversation. This episode is all about the CyberUp campaign, of which Crest has become an official supporter. CyberUp is leading the push for cybersecurity legislation that is fit for the challenges and threats of the 21st century. For this episode, we're pleased to bring you a conversation between Ollie Whitehouse, the founder of Binary Firefly and spokesperson for the CyberUp campaign, and Rob Dartnell, chair of Crest's UK Council and CEO of Sec Alliance. They discuss the genesis of the UK's Computer Misuse Act 1990 and why there is a need for reform. Ollie, good to see you. Thanks for uh, taking the, the time out to, today for us to, to talk about um, the, the CyberUp campaign and talking about the the, uh, the changes to the Computer Misuse Act. Um, but I think it's probably best we just start from the, the very beginning. Do you want to just give us a bit of a, an intro to, to what CyberUp are doing and why and kind of initially just, just what's not working with the, the Computer Misuse Act currently? Yeah, and thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm very happy to. So CyberUp has been a campaign now that's been running for a number of years where we are looking to get fundamentally the Computer Misuse Act reformed and brought into the current era in terms of uh, how it uh, affords protection to both institutions and their IT assets, but then also the researcher community. Because, you know, when we look back and we think about the genesis of it, you know, it has its roots in a in a pre-internet era hack in, in the mid-80s, where uh, a, royal, a member of the royal family had their, their Prestel email inbox breached. And so fast forward, technology's obviously moved on quite significantly in that time. The Computer Misuse Act has no defence built into it. So you cannot have um, any other means other than a warrant in order to breach it. And so, you know, it, it's concepts of ownership and system ownership and authorization are, are, you know, simply not fit for purpose in, in the current era. And so as obviously the internet has come on and, and as you know, you know, cyber threat intelligence has become a thing in the private sector. These slightly onerous concepts um, just haven't maintained pace with, with that technological evolution. So CyberUp campaign is simply asking for, you know, primary legislation to be brought in to the 21st century to represent really, you know, what we are doing both, you know, in, in the services side and in the end user side around cyber defence. Yeah, great. I mean, I'll come up onto to the campaign later because obviously there's some good stuff to talk about there about um, principles-based um, and defensible uh, statements, etc. But I think for most people, if let's let's try and make this real life. You and I, we both run intelligence teams or uh, technical capability teams. Some of them doing vulnerability research. Some of them looking at uh, you know adversaries and trying to track adversaries. I mean, what do you find on a day-to-day basis is limiting your team's capabilities from actually doing what they should be doing in order to protect your clients' critical national infrastructure and, and well, let's face it, the UK as a whole? And it's the lack of specificity in, in the Computer Misuse Act. You know, so Section 1 clearly states you are not uh, allowed to make a computer's form an activity for which you are not authorised. <laughs> and, and that statement in of itself means as a researcher, a, a leader of a research team, as a director of a company doing that type of research, you are in a continual um, cycle of validation on what does that mean in the 21st century? You know, and so the real operational impact of that is, you, you know, it is hard to identify vulnerable systems, even if it is for good. 
without explicit written authorization, if that's the level of kind of legal cover that you want. So, you know, ascertaining who the owner is, who, who's in a position to give that authorization, obtaining that authorization, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then obviously on, on the set side of threat intelligence side, naturally our, our ability to do investigations into adversary infrastructure, adversary tradecraft, and this isn't asking for hackback, but to be able to identify technical information that would allow us to protect victims is challenging for the threat of potentially breaking the law. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think um, probably the first sentence there was the most important bit, right? The CMA doesn't deal with intent at all, right? So, you know, we, we also work in a new, newish industry. Uh, there's lots of very young people coming through for, for the first time and asking questions for, for the very first time. And some of those uh, questions, certainly from a Crest training perspective, uh, when you're trying to get them to, to sit exams, is like, yeah, but I'm doing it for good. I've got good intentions, right? But because the CMA doesn't deal with intent, it doesn't really care that this new person that's trying to do this wonderful research is trying to do it for good, they would still be guilty and be breaking the, the law, right? Very much so. And I think, you know, when and especially for that generation that is coming through that has grown up in bug bounties, you know, there's a very interesting dimension here, right, where a lot of the participants in terms of the institutions that support bug bounties say you cannot break the law, right? And so, you know, the, the, these young individuals who have only the whole, most wholesome of intents are really trying to wrestle and rationalise what is arguably something quite arcane, but very, very broad as well. And so naturally have to make an interpretation on, you know, do they have the requisite authorization at this stage? And, and should they be doing this and, and, and? You cannot be the, uh, the Robin Hood of cyber, as it were. Yeah, exactly. And I think the, the second part to your previous answer as well is you were saying that we're not asking for hackback, right? And that, that, I think that's a very, very clear uh, thing that we should, should get across uh, with the, the principles-based uh, approach with what we're looking to, to amend. Um, there was a few comments that potentially this could open up to, to the wild west of, of cyber. And I think with the reforms we're looking at, it's very clear that is absolutely not what we're, we're intending. And with the approach that we're looking at, won't be the, the overall effect either, because we're very clear def clearly defining that, you know, hack back, for, for example, DDoSing uh, attacker infrastructure, deploying malware on infrastructure. That is absolutely not what we're, we're talking about here, right? Uh, very much so. And I think there's a couple of things that, that kind of underline that. One is, it is unclear under UK law if you could build the equivalent of Shodan here, for example. You know, that's a, that's a key example of, uh, of something which is illegally ambiguous, shall we say, which is nowhere near hackback. It's scanning the internet to find exposed systems, understand those, and then present those in, in a search interface. And I, and I, and I think that that's terribly important. And naturally, Yes, people naturally try and rationalise that if we do any amendments, criminals are going to use it for defence, you know, and, and, and it's going to send the legal system into a, a tailspin because we're going to have bad actors leveraging the, 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 um, the protections afforded in primary legislation. And, and I think, you know, that is a, if I was to be rather direct, I think that's a very easy way to rationalise to not do anything because, you know, you, you, you avoid... Um, having to engage in actually the complexities of, of, of the subject matter. And so we end up with an imperfect law, you know, simply not modernised, I would suggest. Yeah, and I would suggest that unless you actually do something 
nothing will, will change whatsoever, right? Um, so just by making, I'll be even more direct, lazy statements saying that it opens up the, the wild west without actually looking at, at the detail and potentially understanding that the law in itself um, is not necessarily helpful. And I think that's potentially some of the, the pushback. Um, when we're very used to our court system working with they, these types of principle-based systems and uh, defendable statements and all of those types of things. So we need to have faith in what is one of the world's leading legal systems um, and actually just taking on a well-known methodology. Um, we're not looking for significant changes to, to, to the law, as, it, as I understand it anyway. No, and I think you're right. And I think, you know, if, we, if we're very honest and look at the data in terms of prosecutions under the Computer Misuse Act, you know, it, it, it's used often as, as the means of prosecution of last resort, right, where there's a slam dunk. And they will often use, you know, various other uh, laws prior to that. And so we see, you know, a significant proportion actually prosecuting civil servants and or other people who are malicious insiders and not the external aggressors that we're, we're telling ourselves stories about uh, are going to be using it as, a, you know, as a mechanism to, to um, slap their court cases. Yeah. No, I know it's not a, a primary reason. I mean, ultimately, we are looking at building uh, resilience uh, for, for the UK. Uh, we're looking to effectively just be able to do what we're doing better, but safely, right? So it's not also just about protecting the organisations. It's about, protect. I mean, personally, protecting my staff, protecting my analysts, protecting my business to make sure that there is a law that is solid enough that they can have confidence that they're doing the appropriate things and they can understand it clearly. Um, but there is another side to, to this as well, and that is big government statements on, you know, wanting the world's leading cybersecurity businesses, a tech-led uh, country, you know, an organization that leads in digital um, and also the world's most secure place to, to do business. Those things aren't achievable with the CMA the way that it is. Would you agree? I, I would agree. And I would go a step further when they talk about public-private partnership, right? And, and, and that's very hard to achieve in, in various facets where um, potentially the same warranty mechanisms which are available to, to government are not afforded in, in the same way to, to the public sector. And so I think if we recognise that, that government on its own cannot protect the United Kingdom, and to your point, economic prosperity, and as a director of a company, ensuring that you are running a business which is well-governed, run lawfully, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All of this creates headwind and grit in the system for um, our, our wonderful cyber sector. And when we look at other countries, you, you know, some are reforming. Arguably, countries like Zambia have, you know, more modern laws which facilitate this. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, certainly for, from my perspective as well, just going back to those, um, this point about the individuals and the juniors, when you're talking about principles based and you're talking about good versus evil, if you like, you know, uh, you're talking about um, proportionality. These are great conversations to, to have, right? If you're just talking about the black and white letter of the law, they're much more complex conversations to, to have. And they're harder for younger people, certainly within the technology industry, to, to understand, at least if they can have a good debate around you know, different principles and what they can and cannot do. do it's much more cemented in their, their mind um, of what that law is and, and how to operate it. 
Yeah, and I think also you will recognize it. You know, if if a generation does not recognize the practicalities or suitability of something, they will question it more and they will not let it go. They will just feel that the the lawmakers and, and those that have the power in their view are just simply detached from, from the modern world and question arguably their wider decision making at times by virtue of that. And, and I think you're right. You know, again, we are seeing a generation of individuals come through who expect to be able to shape their world and, you know, being able to have that very detailed discourse and, you know, understand that the world is it is not black or white. It is a world of shades of grey that needs, you know, constant refinement and and calibration. Is is ultimately what they're expecting, especially as technology is evolving so quickly. Yeah, yeah. And just going back to the whole UK economy and public private partnership, it, you know, we both have been supporting government for a very long time in our in our organisations. Um, Individually, our resources are far greater than uh, some government departments that are trying to do the, this work at, as it is. Um, they already lean on us incredibly heavily. Surely it's now up to, to them to, to not only be able to lean on us, but also give us a mechanism to protect ourselves and to do that work better because they will be asking for more of it into the future. Yes, and you know, and you, as you and I have discussed before, there is a perverse now, there's a perverse element here, which is the fact that private institutions in the United Kingdom are buying, let's say, cyber threat intelligence from some overseas providers, which, you know, we can't see a way to legally produce the same work products domestically. And, and that, is a, that is a strange world within which to operate, if, if I was being transparent. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So let's just go back to the cyber up campaign then. Um, and what we're kind of looking to do in terms of next steps, where we are with the campaign currently and what we're hoping to, to see in the, hopefully in the next few months or, or weeks. Yeah, so I think over the last few years, we have built up a groundswell of support in um, various parts of the elected houses. Um, and I think what we see there is MPs get it, they understand its need, they are championing it. Where we are arguably today, I think, is that there are certainly government departments that need to make decisions on when the reforms will happen and in what um, shape. And so I think if we were to look at that, look at that quite clinically, there's likely going to be a two-step process here, I think, if you read the tea leaves right. One will be potentially prosecutorial guidance um, for the CPS um, around some of this, which will very much emulate what the US has done in the first instance around the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. But what we really want, and you, and you know this, is we want primary legislation change, as there has been and as there is a, a defence enshrined into that to give total legal certainty. Because at the moment, prosecutorial guidance is lovely, but it doesn't stop you being arrested. It doesn't stop the investigation, but it will potentially stop you being kind of ultimately prosecuted. What we want is a clear set of, you know, principles, whatever we call, wish to call it, enshrined into primary legislation, which gives you and I and, and our fellow colleagues in the sector total certainty. And that, unfortunately, is it is unclear, A, if that will be given, and, and then on B, on, on what time horizon. So we continue to educate uh, you know, engage uh, and 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 obviously do activities such as this to raise awareness. Yeah, and evidently there is a lot going on in the world right now. 
so governments are, are pretty busy and preoccupied and stuff. But actually, if you look at that direct, direct correlation between what's going on in the world and the CMA, you know, there is a, a big correlation between the, the two. And actually to support the, the UK with the way the world, unfortunately, is going, um, then the CMA is a precursor, uh, reform is a bit of a precursor um, to what the government wants to be able to, to do in terms of, you know, security and resilience moving forward. Um, so I suppose the, the crux of it is, you know, some of this has been sitting in a, a couple of government departments for a period of time now. Uh, we'd like to see some output, some clear direction in the, the short term, certainly, um, and a, and a path, pathway ahead, certainly. Um, it's hoping it happens relatively soon. Is there anything else that you'd want to discuss uh, at all uh, around uh, the cyber campaign and uh, changes to the computer misuse act? I think the, the the important things to really touch on here is to, to address some of the anxieties that, that you alluded to. You know, that we aren't intending for this to open up the floodgates to allow um, anyone to use this as a defence. We are obviously talking about a set of criteria which demonstrates the kind of the professionalism and, and the capabilities of the individuals doing this under a under a regime for a better description, which provides um, a, a good means of audit and accountability and transparency for those doing these activities with certain clear expectations around what they would do with that information for the, for the greater good, if nothing else. And so I think, you know, what I would kind of summarize as is that we have thought about this and we have tested and we have gone through multi-stakeholder engagement, both in obviously in our world where we have a vested interest, but, you know, various other parties around the UK to try and provide a practical set of solutions rather than a pie in the sky ambition, I guess. And so we, I think we've done all the hard leg work, right? And, and now it's just requires someone um, with the requisite authority and passion to now drive this through the statute books. Yeah, and having been to some of those legal dinners, it's definitely been uh, hard leg work. Uh, but uh, it's a strong point, you know, obviously as an industry, we've been through this, but we've also worked with lots of different uh, legal specialists, technical and non, um, to, to work on this uh, as well. And, and like you said, those four kind of areas around harm, intent, proportionality, um, and also competence as well, you know, really, really do cover those area, areas off. I think, that probably covers it off from my perspective. All I would say is actually a lot of that work is really well documented in a couple of CyberRep uh, documents that are on the CyberRep website. I implore people to go and read them so they can actually understand it. And when we're talking about this is not opening up the Wild West, actually there's some things in there which quite a lot of us would really like to see included, but we've kept them out in order to really restrict the, the freedom of movement that we have still but making sure things like hackback and whatnot are just you know, nowhere near the grey lines. They are very obvious exclusions. Um, so please do go and read those papers and read all the background history on the, on the website as well. Um, anything further, Ollie? Well, I, I would just echo your, your last point there, which is, you know, if you imagine we're in a, a three-stage process here of crawl, walk and run, you know, I think, you know, we are asking for crawl, right, which is to put the legislation in place to allow us these protections. But we should also recognise that, again, as technology evolves, as society evolves, as the geostability evolves, this may not be the last time we need to reform it, 
right? And so we should probably shouldn't prepare to wait the next 30 years. And so there is a there's a point there around agility and reform subsequently that we need to prepare ourselves. And that will require everyone to engage in the discussion because, again, we may not get things right. I remember when we started out on this and the learnings we went through from the legal sector and other stakeholders gave a perspective that we wouldn't have otherwise come across. And so we would encourage anyone that goes and reads it, has a visceral response, has some input they want to give, come and engage and be part of the solution rather than throwing rocks from the sidewalk. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose at that point, I probably just want to say thank you to all of the sponsors uh, that have been supporting uh, CyberUp. Uh, thank you to NCC and thank you to, to Crest uh, to continue to, to drive it forward. Um, thank you for all your help and support uh, as well, Ollie. Very much appreciated. And uh, as Ollie said, if there's any questions, any interaction, then please do reach out to, to the campaign and uh, we look forward to speaking to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode and a big thank you to Ollie Whitehouse and Rob Dartnell for providing insight into the CyberUp campaign. Please note that this episode was recorded on the 3rd of February 2023. To learn more about how you can support the campaign, please visit www.cyberupcampaign.com. You can also find a link in the podcast show notes. We look forward to bringing you more episodes with cyber experts. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on Twitter and LinkedIn for further updates. This podcast is brought to you by Crest an international not-for-profit membership body representing the global cybersecurity industry.